we're we're attached at the wire. I guess we are. Do it, you're you're working on your voiceover. Do you wanna do you wanna <laughs> announce the the the, 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 thing? the podcast? Hey, you're listening to Life Music in the Pursuit of Answers with Phil Circle. I'm Megan Course, your guest for the evening. You are my guest for the for the evening, for the afternoon. Well, whatever. How do we know what time it is where they are? <laughs> you know? What if they're in Seoul right now, <laughs> South Korea? It's 5 p.m. here. What time is it there? I have no idea. Isn't it like 5 a.m. or something? <laughs> the other side of the planet. Send me a message if you if you have an answer to that. That's right. Uh, I'm Phil Circle. Welcome to Life Music in the Pursuit of Answers. This uh, wisecracker I'm walking along with, <laughs> I've known for quite a while. Uh, she called the Chicago Actors Studio one day looking for coaching, and uh, I answered in my radio voice, apparently. <laughs> and uh, Yes, I remember it well. Yeah? Yeah. Chicago yeah. Actors Studio, how might I help you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's exactly what I would say. <laughs> Chicago Actors Studio, I was like, how I help you? I like this place. Right. Yeah, Let's it's just because of the voice. That's, right. That's how important voiceover is to pe- to people. <laughs> so, uh, why uh, uh, you're taking you're taking uh, voiceover classes right now, right? I am, yeah, at the uh, Green Room Studio with Robin Moeller. Oh, you a name dropper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's a well-respected veteran of the industry. I I can't not. I'm learning a lot. She's uh she's fantastic. And uh, and we're in Chicago, which is like a, a big place for voiceover. Yeah, it is. It's huge. Um, McDonald's is probably one of the most well-known Chicago clients for. Because uh, Chicago's uh, the home to McDonald's. Right. So yeah. we're sorry uh, uh, about that. You know. <laughs> um, we we think there's actual meat in some of the food, but we're not perhaps. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, Chicago is like a commercial industrial capital of the world in the acting community. Now, you've been studying acting for since I met you, and uh, you've been there, which is like almost twelve years, you know. Almost. Yeah. And now, why would you keep doing that? <laughs> I mean, don't you know everything by now? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's uh one class and the magic wand is waved and I've learned everything I need to learn. That's what I thought. <laughs> that's that's I the wish. impression you get with, with people, you know. It's, it's oh, it's true, it's true. I, uh, I think I was talking to a, an actor, or wannabe actor recently, and um, he was saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, jump back in, I'll take a class and you know, get my headshots and I'll be good to go. And I'm like, yeah, it's not really how that works. <laughs> Um, it's just like anything, it's a skill, and you have to constantly study and train and hone and get better. I mean, otherwise, what's the point, right? Well, come on, I took seven guitar lessons, and then I quit. Look at me now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Yeah, well, yeah, it didn't get very far. Uh, I took seven more on another occasion. I don't know why I took it in groups of seven. I, get, I wouldn't, didn't want to quite get to the two-month point because that means you're, you're in a commit, committed relationship. Oh, I you see. Know? So that started early. <laughs> oh. <laughs> By the way, if you're wondering who I'm talking to other than Megan Kors, this happens to be my wife. <laughs> and uh, so she talks to me like that a lot. Are we going this way? Yeah, we're going to cross the street. Okay. We're walking around Rogers Park. Yeah, if you couldn't tell. Though. Rogers Park, Chicago. The noise and noise. There's cars going by. There's a say, say the names of the cars that go by with like a voiceover talent. Uh, Nissan. I don't. I don't know their slogan. Grand Cherokee. <laughs> What's this one? It's Subaru. a Subaru. It's a Subaru. No, it's a Chevy. Chevy. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah look, at, look, there's another Chevy. Oh, it's a Chevy. Yeah. Chevrolet. So, going places. Oh, is that what their thing is? I, I don't know. You're just making it up, aren't you? I've heard Look, there's, like we say Chevrolet and like all kinds of Chevys oh, yeah, pass by. Now they're letting us cross because we're promoting. <laughs> that's yeah, that's what Let's name dropping gets you. Yeah. You just, you know, drop names. Yeah, so now, 
not cut across you. These people need the uh, water of the grass. Yeah, it looks a little dry. Sad. Sad dry grass. <laughs> so. Ooh, branches. Yeah. And when you have a smartphone, you probably don't want to be staring at it a lot to, to check levels because there may be a tree branch. So little did I know the risks of recording a podcast whilst walking down the street. It's dangerous. I just wanted to use the word whilst. Is it whilst or whilst? Whilst. Whilst, whilst? walking down the street. Whilst. whilst walking. Okay, there's another reason for somebody to message me, tell me I got it wrong. So. <laughs> I'm sure it's whilst. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. I, maybe it's one of those things you can go either way with it, you know? Mm, I don't know about that. Really? Yeah. So we can't call you Megan? <laughs> no. I did have an Irish literature professor that I would correct for about three weeks, and then I finally stopped. And he's like, yes, Megan. I'm like, Megan? And he would just ignore me. Well, well I had a Welsh auntie Megan. Yeah. So, you know, so maybe that's what it is. I think so, yeah. When I was in Spain, uh, they called me Felipe Circle. <laughs> I didn't know they were calling my name either. Sat there, called it three times, and then my my uh, guitar instructor nudged me. That's you. Oh, technical difficulty. <laughs> Almost dropped the level there. Uh. So, uh, Megan. Yes, Phil. What fascinates you? Um, people, I guess. I, I used to be one of those people that would say, I don't really like people that much. I like animals. Animals make sense to me. And, and then a dog bit you? <laughs> yeah, my own dog bit me. <laughs> <laughs> she was mad because I was away at college all the time. And she yep. didn't get to see me anymore. Serves you right for getting an education. Oh, yeah, that's right. No, but I, I realized that, um, especially as an actor, I better find people fascinating. Otherwise, what the hell am I doing? He started in, uh, with a, an interest in film before he became interested in acting. Is that correct? Um, Mostly, no. kind of. Kind of. Well, look at that. 12 years, I don't even know the background. <laughs> I've always wanted to be. looking really good here. Yeah, well. Uh, When's our anniversary? Oh, uh, this month. It is this month. <laughs> Yeah, August what, what, yeah, so it's the same. 2011. <laughs> Somebody could be listening to this ne next February and they're like, oh. Oh, yeah. February, that's sweet. <laughs> August 14th, yes. Yes. Um, I've always wanted to be an actor. I just didn't admit it to myself or anyone until I was 18. And I told my mom, hey, mom, I want to be an actor. And she said, oh, honey, you're too shy to be an actor. Always good to get that encouragement. <laughs> and then we consulted the Ouija board, and the Ouija board agreed. All right. so. Way to go, Gail, on the Ouija board. <laughs> See, there's, a, there's like a short for you. Well, that was a, yeah. Gail on the Ouija board. Gail's my mother-in-law. not a bad idea. She's got a good actually. sense of humor, so I'm not in trouble now. <laughs> there's a different time uh, for everybody, I think. And I'm sure now, she, having actually seen me be an actor, she would agree that I'm doing the right thing. But, I uh, have no doubt. Yeah. But yeah, that, that was that was kind of my, I, I admitted it, I'd been thinking about it and watching movies and dreaming for years, but then uh, when, when that happened, I decided to, I wasn't sure actually, I, I changed majors three times and then finally settled on film studies and English literature. I got my education in production and documentary filmmaking and video and actual film, uh, which was wonderful as an actor to learn that kind of background um, and that kind of uh, foundation. Because I understood what, what the camera needs, what the director needs from the standpoint of being on the other side of it. So. It's worthwhile knowing Very. all the aspects of the work that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the necessity of um, continuity 
you know, multiple shots doing the same thing. I was going to ask you to define that for people. <laughs> continuity. Is that like the continuity 48 states? It's the continuous. It's like yeah. continental. Continental. Continuous. 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 They continuously 48. are 48 states. They haven't <laughs> made them 47 yet. Although there was some talk that some people in other parts of Illinois, the other however many counties of Illinois want to get Cook County to become its own state because they don't like us so much. <laughs> Heard that on the news yesterday. Yeah, don't they do that every year or so? It's a regular kind of ongoing joke. Why just Chicago, why don't you just become your own state? You're so special. Windy City. Why do they call it the Windy City? Uh, politicians. And braggadocery. Right. Yep. I don't know what they're talking about. We're not bragging. Chicago just kicks butt. <laughs> I don't understand why the rest of the state despises Chicago so much. It's not like uh, upstate New Yorkers hate New York or something. Yeah, not to my knowledge. It, so. I, I haven't gotten that impression. Um, it's just silly. It is. So it, it's like nationalism, which is a big trend right now in the world. Mm. Um, as the world becomes more closely connected, people are, are becoming so afraid that they're trying to cling to old ways. Okay. And always when there's fear, there is a need for somebody to blame for that fear. So it's easier to figure out who to blame if you can just be a national be nationalist and then you can blame like hundred and ninety seven other countries. <laughs> you know. Right, which in this day and age is just absurd because we're all so interconnected. It you can't undo that without creating chaos. Yeah, and for the record, to anybody who's listening to this anywhere in the world, we love you. We do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we do. I don't yeah. know about, you know, certain people yeah. running things. Yeah, but there's but. also the concept of a thing called, uh, that Seth Godin brought up in his On Marketing book, uh, called Sonder, I believe, where whatever somebody else thinks or says, they're right. That when you can come to understand that, you're going to find it a lot easier to talk to people who you don't agree with. Mm. And he was talking about it from the standpoint of marketing specifically, so that you're not sitting there going, well, you know, why didn't they want to hire me for that acting job? I'm so good at what I do. And it's like, well, you know, so they must be wrong. Oh, no, they're right. They made the decision they thought was right. Yeah. When you don't tell their story. Or, you know, they, they don't, they're not interested. It has nothing to, it's not a reflection on you. No, it's not. I mean, it might be. Well. <laughs> from the standpoint of, like, if your skill sets aren't there to convey your story. As an artist, you have to have skill sets to convey your story properly. Yes. Um, but, you know, assuming that's all in place, the idea of pleasing everybody is absurd. Yeah, and it'll, it'll drive you crazy. Yeah, um, real quick. You have to understand that you're going to audition about a hundred times before you get one great job. Maybe more. Um, my voiceover teacher says that she auditions about ten times a week every year. So roughly 500 auditions and she books one, two, three a year. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but those bookings can sometimes pay for her whole year, so that's all you need. Yeah, it's like uh, a guy who was uh, a guitar student of mine for a bit, and uh, he, you met him, Alfred Wilson. So he's an actor, uh, did some stuff to Goodman Theater, a lot of other places, professional, obviously, for his whole life. And uh, he said, well, I don't... I don't have to audition that much anymore. Occasionally, they ask me to read for a part or something. Sure. But he said, you know, early on, that, that was his whole job, audition. As soon as you get a job, uh, you know, even while you're doing that job, you're already working your other job, which is auditioning. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah and that's, uh, that's another challenging thing, I think, for actors when you're new to the industry and you don't really know what it entails that auditioning is our job. And until you reach a certain level, like Alfred has, it's always going to be our job. Um, and so knowing that, A, it's not about you, it's about the story, and it's about the role, it's about the production. It all, um, I don't know, it all has to tie in, and, and it feels like it's meant to be when you do get booked for those things. It really feels like, yes, this was mine. This makes sense. So uh, what aspect of the auditioning process uh, can you improve to be able to know it's yours before you get there? Like, is there a mindset, in other words, that you can accomplish before you get there that manifests it in your heart and mind and you walk in and you're there, boom? Or do you not know until after you've done the audition and you just have that feeling, wow, that one was the right one? Or do you just never know? That's like three questions. <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I, if I do know. Like, I had a really great audition um, for a theater role a couple months ago. And it was just, it was like, it all kind of lined up. It was a great script. It was a great role. I, I felt it so deeply. I loved the story. I loved this character. I went in. I expressed my enjoyment of this piece and, and, and the scenes. And I walked away feeling like, I got this. But that's always a dangerous feeling because that feeling can happen and you don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's happened many times. So how do you contend with that? just have to look at it being a matter of when it's right, it's right. There's really no other way to look at it. And to know that you're creating relationships. I got a really wonderful email from the director of this production saying how much she loved my audition and she thought I was very talented and you know would love to work with me again in the future, but she's offered the role to somebody else. And they just pat me on the back when they say that? No, they don't have to say anything to you. Right, because they can just ignore you. Yeah, they, they can just, just be like, no. thanks so much for auditioning, we've cast the role. They don't right. have to say anything else. They don't even have to contact you to tell you they didn't take it. Theater usually does. Okay. But um, on camera, for commercials and film, uh, they don't, no. You never hear anything. You only hear if you got it. <laughs> Which is why it's so important to know that your job is auditioning, because... 90% of the time, you're not going to get any feedback whatsoever on how you did. Now, if you have uh, an agent, does the agent get feedback? The agent can request feedback, but even they say, we'll do it. We might not hear anything, but if they have the time to get back to us, they will. Yeah, and the agent probably doesn't want to ask for feedback all the time because that would be annoying. It would be very annoying. Like, don't call this agent anymore. They want feedback <laughs> for all 50 of her people. Yeah, don't be one of those actors that's constantly looking for the need can, yeah, to be gratified of, like, I need to know how you, I do. You said the exact word that came to mind. You said the beginning of it, need. Mm -hmm. I add E. <laughs> you know, yeah. you become needy. Yeah, very. You know, if, if, you're, if you're needy about it, uh... That's uh, that's a living in lack, isn't it? Yeah, you know? it is. I uh, I had this coaching package with Bonnie Gillespie, and it's a it's an online. Okay, tell them who Bonnie Gillespie oh. is. <laughs> uh, Bonnie Gillespie is a casting director, an author, and actor business coach. So she she works with actors specifically on learning the business and the mindset of being an entrepreneur, basically, because that's what actors really are. That's what any of us are uh, in this uh, in this business, in the, in the 
the business of the arts. We're an entrepreneur to some degree. Uh, even to get to the point where you want uh, to have somebody run everything for you, you're not going to accomplish that without having achieved some level of entrepreneurship, even if you don't want to consider yourself that. Yeah, I mean, even to get an agent, they want to see that you're already working, that you already have your great headshots, that you already have a demo reel of some kind, that you've done work, that you've met people. Um, and a demo reel should be uh, actual jobs. Yeah. Ideally. Ideally. I've, yeah. he I've heard talk that you can like, well, you can just like, you know, make up demo reel and get a bunch of uh, bits together, little pieces of scenes, and make it look like it was professionally done and demonstrate your range. And I suppose, you know, if you got nothing, nothing to go on, you could do that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's here, kind of a growing trend right now. Here's the problem I have with that. Um, I don't mind uh, producing an album where me and one other person do everything on the album, but I have a problem with me producing an album where I play every instrument, produce everything, engineer everything, <laughs> because there's absolutely no object objectivity involved. And the, you lose the energy of the creative process if you have nobody to respond to because the arts are a giving thing. Yeah. I definitely see that yeah. with, uh, with music. I mean, it would be the same thing for, for demo reels. I think what's happening right now is there's actual production houses and uh, casting offices and schools that are putting on these classes or offering these services. So you are working with other people. Someone's going to write something for you. They're gonna, someone else is going to shoot it. Huh. Someone's going to direct you through it. So is that a little bit more than like a demo recording for a musician like where we would bring in you know we're it's not a full album right but we've still got the energy of other artists involved and yeah. maybe it's not totally professionally done yet or something but it's yeah but it's, it's a way it's to show what the, you what you can do what you're capable of um but the, but the second you get anything, you got a, a, any kind of real gig. If it if it didn't like suck, you know, you've got to <laughs> you got to put that in your demo reel because you want they, they got to see you're working. Yeah. What do you do about your uh, resume when you're starting out? And you got like nothing on your resume. I took classes. Classes, yeah. That's that's, that's it. it. Yep. Can you put your your scene study as a, yes. I played I played Hamlet. Absolutely. So I could do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna put together a resume. Do it. I played Hamlet. Yeah. I did this. Did you? Yeah, I did. Um, well, for a scene study. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the, the, what a rogue and peasant slave am I. Yeah, yeah. That's all I remember. <laughs> this 13-acre park commemorates the Treaty of 1816, which established the land boundaries of the Potawatomi Indians. That's what we're lo I'm looking at. I just stopped right here. Yeah. Um, so, that's more than 200 years ago. The land boundaries. So, we're commemorating kicking the... Uh, natives out of the Chicago area. They were allowed this far in. Yeah. Chicago's a Potawatomi and Algonquin word for wild onion. I knew that. Yeah, I know you did, but I'm telling other people who are listening. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. You know all this stuff I repeat constantly. You get tired of that? That's true. Uh, Go yeah. ahead. Say it. You can tell everybody. Yeah, I'm it's so tired. Charming. Really? Yeah, oh, sure. Okay. So I can tell like old man jokes now? Knock knock. Who's there? Banana. Banana. Knock knock. Who's there? Banana. Banana. Knock knock. Who's there? Banana. Banana. Knock knock. Who's there? Orange. Orange who? Orange. You glad I didn't say banana? <laughs> yeah. So, what do you think of the Indian Boundary Park? What do you think of the number of things that we use in our culture to uh, that are that are uh, Indian, that is Native American, indigenous people's words, uh, and 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 then here we're commemorating where where they were allowed to come to, uh, uh, so that the, the uh, to keep uh, keep a treaty, so there was no war between mm -hmm. Native groups and. Well, it's uh, as history shows, it's unbelievably hypocritical because they were all moved out eventually anyway. 
Yeah, well, it was, it, and, and that's that's the uh, term. Watch out, walking in the grass. Watch out for dog poop. Yep. Watch out for the crab apple tree in, in the face. Watch out for the ki- crazy kids on bicycles. Yeah, watch out for them. Let's see, is Are this... they walking or sitting? No, I was thinking of sitting, but there's this this fountain here. Yeah, see how loud it is. We're looking at the sound at the, the sound reinforcement. Uh, Oh, yeah, so it's just in the background, okay. apparently. And we'll listen to this in the back. <laughs> so, yeah, an, an interesting thing, by the way. Um, when people use the term Indian giver, it's not referring it's not, uh, referring to the uh, Indians themselves. It's referring to the, uh, the U.S. government, pretty much. It's referring to the U.S. government, pretty much who uh, um, would give them stuff and then take it away. So, right. But nobody knows that to be the fact, that Indian giver is actually dissing the U.S. government. So when people say you're an Indian giver, it's taken as derogatory toward Native Americans. There's so many derogatory stuff that I just did not grow up with. And so I know nothing of that whole Indian giver, like anyone ever saying that. I, I heard it once when we lived in Eau Claire from somebody. Yeah. And I was like, what? Like, do people still use that? I mean, it was just, it's completely foreign to me. I, I feel like I grew up in this very, it's not sheltered, I felt it was very progressive household that um, we knew that we were of mixed race and that everyone had moved beyond any kind of racism because the civil rights movement had happened and look where we are now and look everything we've overcome and I was just floored when we left Chicago and moved back to Eau Claire for me uh, how it still existed how people would still use derogatory terms and and how everyone was mostly white and I like it was it was just a shock to me it honestly was there's a turtle poking his head up in the pond staring at us (laughs) He's part What's of the. What's up, uh, man? I just had I had a dream about turtles last night. What does that you? mean? I don't know. We'll have to look that up. Yeah. Somebody send us a message. It's well, moving fast. It's not as if these terms don't exist around Chicago. What you've been exposed to in Chicago is much what we were exposed to when we lived in Eau Claire, as to the people that we associated with. You know, um, it's it, and it's why people will move to certain neighborhoods, for instance, in Chicago. You know, people move to neighborhoods where they are comfortable for whatever reason. Whether that reason is they don't like to, you know, they're, they're, they're white and don't like to be around minorities because they have unfounded fears. Or whether it's that they have wealth and they're afraid of uh, being robbed and so they live in the rich, you know, richer suburbs. Or they uh, can't afford something and so they move to a more impoverished or just a less expensive area. There's a million different reasons. Uh, and all of these things that I just spelled out are different forms of bigotry, you know? Oh, yes. um, I grew up with money, and I had a bigotry for a long time toward people with money, hmm. strangely enough. And it was probably related to my being an artist and having to constantly explain myself why I didn't become a you know, commodities broker or something. You know, yeah. something. And... Uh, you know, and, and so that was fear, and and so then it goes back to that usual question of like, well, what are you afraid of? When something's bothering you, that's the first question to ask. What are you afraid of? Yeah. So me, I was afraid of being judged, and then but then you have to you have to play the tape through. So what? It, so I'm afraid of being judged. Well, by whom? By people that I grew up with. Well, are you in touch with a lot of people you grew up with? About ten. <laughs> uh, what do you think of the ten that you're in touch with? I think they're wonderful, amazing people. Uh, so then, are they the kind of people that would judge you for being an artist? No, they actually uh, applaud me for going into the arts. So what are you worried about? Nothing. <laughs> you know, so it's when you can go and play stuff through like that. Right, yeah. Um, so then, what What are people, you know, so, and, and Eau Claire people may listen to this too. You know, we love so many people in Eau Claire. It was just a, a, a culture, cultural change that we weren't prepared for. Yeah, is a, is a You know, as a, a big part of it. And it wouldn't be a whole lot different if we moved up to where I grew up here in the north suburbs, up on the north shore of Chicago, sure. which is mostly uh, white and, and, and uh, not, not like Eau Claire, wealthy uh, 
uh, different culture, you know, in, in that sense. But you would run into uh, bigotry up there, uh, and it would be economic bigotry as well. Uh, but you'd also run into amazing people, many of whom I grew up with, and you know, and I just you know, incidentalized in my example. You know. But it, 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 then you ask the question, what? A, so um, I remember people saying, "Oh, you're from Chicago." I said, "Yeah, no, I hate Chicago." Well, well, well I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> I didn't get like mad at them and start some new rivalry. It was, it was, you know, it was kind of them to let me in their state when I'm not a Packers fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was, we don't like outsiders. I was treated very well for being an Auslander, you know, <laughs> and uh, you know we were able to hold these these great dialogues with people all the time. But yeah. I'd, I'd ask people sometimes, well, I'm sorry, you don't you don't like Chicago? When were you there? And they go, oh, I wasn't, or. I drove through uh, when I was a truck driver, uh, and I got stuck in the traffic, and I hate the traffic. Oh, so sometimes if you just probe a little bit, you'll find out that they don't really know. Yeah. Even a good friend of ours who called it a concrete jungle. I was like, well, the only place that is is downtown, which <laughs> is also, you know, bordered by an amazing lake, one of the biggest lakes in the world, and one of the biggest concentrations of freshwater in the world. And huge green expanses all along the lake and the largest waterfront park in the world. Mm-hmm. So there's the concrete jungle. It's still got that beauty around it, and it's an amazing collection of architecture. And if you want to know more about the collection of architecture, you can go to my episode with Darren Jellison and Shenandoah Thompson, <laughs> go by Association Records. Darren's an architect. We also did a thing on YouTube and a little boat tour where you, Darren listens to everything so you go to youtube.com slash fill circle or go to the guilt by association records page on facebook at guilt by association records that's a good plug uh, thanks yeah. i did uh, my best voice over yeah, yeah. in a world <laughs> i think uh i think back to eau claire a lot i think it was a huge um eye opener and and also a huge oh, venture for me into um, people, like you we were talking about earlier, uh, my love of people. I started to see something that I hadn't really seen in myself uh, was my own bubble that I kind of created of like what I understood and what I knew about life and and I think we all do that. Um, and what I knew from about life was very different from what a lot of people there knew. and. When I worked in, uh, I was a bartender, as you know, for a period of time, and uh, worked in this this little town called Bloomer, outside of Eau Claire. Hey, Bloomer. What's up, Bloomer? And uh, a a town, a town half the size of my high school, by the way, the population. (laughs) And that's the other thing too. So for me to understand them is a huge stretch. Sure. It's a community out in out in farm country, and. they got uh, 11 churches and 13 bars, you know, or something like that, right? right. And uh, you can pretty much walk through town. Uh, and and then for me to, and then I went to a high school outside the third biggest city in, in the U.S. Uh, with twice as many students in my high school as there are in that town. Right. So obviously there's going to be elements of, uh, you don't understand me, I don't understand you. Uh, go ahead, because I think what you're gonna, the story you're going to tell, which is a favorite <laughs> of mine, is, is going to yeah. kind of illustrate how, what to do about it. So um, I, I had to, I had to kind of prove myself too. I had to like, you know, they're like, oh, you moved here from Chicago. I was like, well, yeah, but you know, I'm from here. I, I went to elementary school in Eau Claire, and you know, I went to college for a couple of years here, and. So I also had to prove my, myself that I belonged in some sense. And, uh, but they would use derogatory terms that I did not appreciate in the bar. And I said, I don't appreciate that my grandmother's black. And I don't want to hear any of those words. And so it became known very quickly that Megan doesn't want to hear that, so you don't use that in the bar when she's working, which I thought was pretty start. respectful <laughs> for a start. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then dialogue started to happen. Um, you know, Obama was president at the time, and, and I remember very specifically he was giving an address, like a State of the Union address, you know, and it was on the T 
TV over my shoulder and I was talking to these two white men who were veterans of, you know, Vietnam veterans. And, and they were saying, Megan, what do you think of, of the blacks? <laughs> and so they hadn't heard my full story. So I told them, well, this is what I think. I think they're family because they are. Um, and they're like, well, we have this, this family here in town and you know, they're not very friendly. <laughs> what do we do? And I was like, well, maybe put yourself in their shoes and think about how they must feel being the black family in a small, predominantly white town and how scared they must be. And, you know, just talk to them. I mean, that's all you gotta do. Obviously what's, what's blocking any kind of dialogue is fear on both sides, right? Yep. So, and then, you know, through all this conversation, there's, there's you know, our president behind my shoulder. <laughs> Um, which is, it, again, it's just kind of mind-boggling, you know, that they're this close to diversity and yet not, yet so far away. And, and then this one uh, gentleman started talking about his time in Vietnam and how a black man had saved his life and he, how much he loved him. And it was like, yeah, see? So there you go. Like, if you're going to generalize, generalize <laughs> on the good parts. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's the funniest Incredible. thing about generalizations, isn't it? Then when we make a generalization out of fear, we, we, uh, we, it's like a whole group of people or, 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 you know, a whole place or something or a whole thing, people, place or thing. It's, it's all you know, generalization about some noun or other, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, but we have an exception that makes us not look bad. Yeah. You know? Right. So I feel this way about this particular noun, except for this one person, one place situation. or thing, you yeah. know, that, that, that was different. But that, that has to be the exception that proves the rule. Yeah. But that's, that's, again, that's fear-based thinking. You know? mm -hmm. See, that turtle is not afraid of us at all. He's had his... Are you sure it's a turtle? Maybe it's a stick. Do I need new eyeglasses? <laughs> I saw other closer. ones over here popping their head up over and over again. Yeah. It's, it's, if it's a stick, it's a very cool shaped one. Yeah, true. Maybe we need to take a picture and share <laughs> Let's it take a picture on Instagram it. and yeah. go, is this a turtle or a stick? Because <laughs> I saw other uh, turtle heads pop up over here. I don't know. Yeah, see, there, you just took all the fun out of it. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it was, you're right, it wasn't a turtle. Remember when we were in Wisconsin by uh, Magoo's house? Or Kevin McGuire, a friend of mine from like grade school on, I think. Um, and uh, he, he lives uh, east of Madison. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were, he has a little lake by his place, and we were out on a canoe. Yes. And uh, I'd been, uh, there were places where I had to jump out and push us through the sludge. Right. With my you know, pants rolled up to my knees and everything. And then jump back in. And then after having done that several times, we come around a bend into some little uh, inlet or whatever. And this huge head comes slowly up out of the depths like a dragon and it was like <laughs> two feet out of the water and grizzly and prehistoric looking and it was a snapping turtle or whatever. Yeah. If I'd have been walking the canoe past that thing I wouldn't have a leg. And I didn't do any more portaging after that. <laughs> it was, yeah. It's pretty incredible. Yeah and it was just and it's like very slowly rising its head up. They have very long necks, the, the snapping turtles. They do, yeah. I guess they need it. Snap it, snap it back. Yeah, because they, 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 uh... Extend, snap, retract. Is that what it is? I think so. Is that the, the like, terminology you learned in Wisconsin? That's in what we learned in Wisconsin, yeah. yeah. We learned about turtles and cows and... Cows. You didn't have, you didn't have, like, so everybody like rode a horse to town and <laughs> milked the cow in the morning and right. grabbed the eggs from the, the chicken coop and sure. yeah. Yeah. So no, no, we no, don't no. have buildings. Don't have, yeah, it was barns. Just barns. Yeah. Your, your dad owned the general store. Your mom was a, was a school mom. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, see, that was in it. That was a funny experience. We were looking at, at uh, apartments. Uh, here in Chicago with a friend 
who was a developer. Uh, and, uh, oh, there's a turtle. There's one. Or it's a moving stick. No, that's a turtle. Yeah. I saw the shell. Yep, see it. Oh, the shell, there oh. he is. Yeah, oh, oh, he heard you. Oh. It could be a she. How do we know? Oh, that's true. He's coloring the, the distinctive factor in turtles. It must be. It's pretty. Uh, the red, red ears and male or something. Across the board for nature, the males are more colorful. Yeah, remember that. Yeah, see? I'm, 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 I'm so colorful. <laughs> Those are age spots. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, and it was, a, so it was a, fr a friend of ours who uh, was having some property uh, uh, re redeveloped and another friend of ours was doing the work and we were looking at the place and we didn't like the layout and one friend said said to you like well Megan you know, you're from you're from Wisconsin you don't know yep it's just like a, just a vast generalization yeah. you're right because Wisconsin doesn't have apartments and you I think you just say that to him pretty much yeah like, I yeah did, of that's course. right man there's no there's no apartments in <laughs> Wisconsin right. I never lived in an apartment before yeah I didn't live in you know Milwaukee or anything yeah which is like mini mini Chicago yeah or Chicago, to, in respect to Wisconsinites, Chicago could be called Big Milwaukee. There you go. Considering the, what the names mean, if Milwaukee actually does mean the good land, the good land. <laughs> as put forth in the movie. <laughs> which Megan can recite every line of that movie. And what's hysterical is that, that Wayne and Garth, that's like my generation of Hippies. Yeah. I was just preparing for you, sweetie. Uh, doing my research. Doing your research yeah. so you'd know what your husband, how he started. <laughs> I know all about your origins. <laughs> yeah. Because I learned all about your origins from watching Dances with Wolves and Glory. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, you know. Yeah, why don't you just say you learned about my origins from watching The Quiet Man? <laughs> I love that movie. I know it's a great movie. Without further ado, without further eloquence, that's what it was. Yeah. Correcting my lines, leave it to the actor to know the line. Well, it's probably best. <laughs> <sighs> we got off track. What were we talking about? Oh, it doesn't matter. We're sitting here by the pond. This is uh, actually a. a Wildlife Preserve in the middle of Indian Boundary Park in West Ridge, Chicago neighborhood, right next to Rogers Park. We just we crossed the boundary. Yeah. Yes. Into Indian Boundary. Into Indian Boundary, yes. West Ridge uh, got uh, during the uh, the cabbage, cabbage Wars. It was some some ridiculous name like that. There was this political war that went on between. Rogers Park in Westridge in the early 20th century, <laughs> where Rogers Park did not end up getting uh, as much funding for parks as Westridge did. Uh, so Rogers Park has fewer parks in Rogers Park. It's also hard to park in Rogers Park <laughs> unless you're in West Rogers Park. Where where we are. Are. Yeah. But Rogers Park, to its benefit, is right on the lakefront. So sure. you walk eight blocks and then. Lake Michigan, Lake Michigan mm -hmm. which is also a native word, isn't it? So let's see, Michigan is a native word. Uh, Huron is a native group. Uh, Erie, uh, not so much. Ontario, I don't know. Let's find out. Is Ontario a native word? Which some of the native titles are French, but they're actually derogatory, like Sioux Indians. Sue's, uh, as I understand it, not complimentary to the Lakota. Yeah. And uh, Superior, though, that's not a name. I'm sure there's a native word for that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, interesting. We were reading something, in, was that National Geographic or Smithsonian, talking about... Um, we, we, we read really high-end stuff. We're very highbrow. <laughs> We also read Entertainment Weekly and Rolling Stone. Yeah, just, so we, we cover all bases. Yeah. But, uh, no, they were talking about the... She reads Play, uh, Playgirl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't get enough I read, of that. I read Men's Health. 
Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated. No, those last couple that was that was a, a joke. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> maybe they could tell by the laughter. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the uh, the use of you know Indian and uh, the emblem for like the Cuban Indians and yeah, all and that. they call them the tribe too. Yeah. That's what they call the Cleveland Indians in Cleveland. They call them the tribe. And yeah. and, and also it kind of ties in with like the Confederate statues and all that stuff. Like yeah. it just doesn't it just doesn't belong anymore. It's time to move on from that stuff. It's it's filled with so much hatred and resentment and horrible history it's like it's just it's time to or at least attached to so much hatred and yeah. resentment and horrible history um and the people that have come to love it i mean you know i know why you love it it's what you grew up with it's what you've known but we all have to kind of let go of that stuff if it's hurting other people in order for the world to come closer together we need to all realize we're just the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to uh, agree with, uh, with anybody. You know? I just have to, and I don't have to, I don't have to uh, agree to disagree. I, I don't have to like what somebody says, but always remembering that they believe what they're saying in their heart, and they believe what they're, you know, what they're saying. They have some logic for it or whatever. And that again, by just doing, allowing myself to do that, then I allow myself to treat them as a human being with a spirit that then is pretty much the same as mine. Because the human part is the baggage. You know, the spirit is, is the being. The human is the baggage. And with all that baggage, you know, is, is our hang-ups and our biases and bigot, bigotries and things like that. Um, I mean, you know all the stories I have of people that I haven't agreed with and I've had really amazing conversations with as a result of being able to dialogue. You were talking about the bar and bloomer. There was, well, there was no one guy that would come in there regularly seeking to have dialogue with you, and he was of the opposite political party or yeah. stance. But he found it, he found it, and he wasn't coming in to, to argue, was, was he? No. He was interested in knowing. He want, And that's... that's Guy. That's part and parcel to uh, dealing with change. Mm-hmm. It's not making change, it's dealing with change. And that's where the fear comes from, is the dealing with change question. You know, If nothing was changing, people wouldn't have anything to be afraid of. They could just stay where they are and it would be all hunky-dory and we'd all do our thing. You know? but but change is inevitable. The change is inev- uh, inevitable. We are evolving as we speak. Uh, culturally and biologically, and 150,000 years, there, there won't be a male chromosome anymore. They say it's decaying with that way. So you won't need us anymore. There'll be some other. There'll be a hand, hand, uh, hand mate still. It'll be the opposite of that show. Yeah. It's oh, the hand mate still. It's a bunch of guys walking around in leather, doing what they're told. Chains around their necks. You won't even be guys though if the chromosomes don't. Yeah, that's the only one. Let's figure that out. Okay, scientists, get, get involved in <laughs> I this. I know, I want to know what, what will the male part I, of the species become. I think, I think, it's, no I think it's that the, uh, the, the reptilian, I think it's what holds on to the reptilian part. I don't know, I'm totally talking out my past area here, so <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, and I read that in the science magazine. Article. So I did not get that off the internet. Yeah. <laughs> that that out of actual research. piece of research. You know. yeah. um, some 20 years ago, in fact, I think 15. Everything, everything important in my life happened 20 years ago. Is that right. that? Or when I was that. nine. All my, all my youth it was when I was nine. High school is a blur, so I can't really tell you anything. Uh, and, and then everything else in my adulthood, everything happened 20 years ago. Let's, uh, let's walk on roasting. Oh, okay. Are you roasting? I'm literally melting in the sun. Megan's roasting on a park bench. Some <laughs> cheese. Mm-hmm. Watch out for the, the street poop. You know, uh, 
we walked by, or you weren't with me, but Phil had a show last night in uh, downtown Chicago, and uh, it was Lollapalooza, so it was a Lollapalooza after party, and they had mounted policemen. Yeah. I don't know if there were any women, I didn't see any, but I uh, walked by the horse trailers like three times. Oh, did you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you parked the car? Yeah. Oh, that's fun. And the smell of horse manure was very comforting. Uh, now you should probably should explain to people why that is. You have some. You have a fetish with manure. No, no that's not it. Not really. You no. uh, um, you were stranded on an island with nothing but a horse, and so you had to eat each other's feces. <laughs> no, that's not it. No. Um, <laughs> you, I, you, you knew I was a cavalryman in a past life. Yeah, it's all about you. It totally is. Hey, this is my podcast, man. <laughs> You know, jeez, you'll never work in this podcast again. <laughs> no, I was once upon a time an equestrian. Hey, I, do you, I went, are you once an equestrian, always an equestrian? Sure. You're just not riding a horse right now. Well, I'm just not right now. But once you know about them, you know about them, right? That's true. I'm an equestrian. Do you become less of an artist when you, you know, if, you, if you're not pursuing your art all the time? No, I guess not. If you have the creative juices, well, actually, this is a really good question. Do you become less of an artist if you're not pursuing your art all the time? Absolutely not. Why not? Because you're not pursuing I, the art. You're forgetting the whole purpose uh, that you're here for. But you're, well, you're in the arts in your head, because I've, I've been there. I've been someone who hasn't pursued any kind of artistic endeavor for a period of time, and knowing and feeling that that's what I wanted to be doing, and battling within myself, trying to figure out if I should or shouldn't do it. Yeah. I've always been an artist. How much of that battle was necessary? None of it was necessary. <laughs> or was all of it necessary? Well, maybe I need to go through it. I don't know. But so it had no purpose. It was a total waste of your time and no, energy? No, I guess it wasn't. You want to sit on this tree? Yeah, we can sit on this tree. It bent tree. over just for us to sit. What is this? Look at this amazing... It's an entire trunk of a tree that's bent... The whole, yeah, the whole tree like, tipped over and kept growing. <laughs> so we can sit on the tree. Yep. It's pretty amazing. So then what about people who go, well, you know, I used to, I played guitar, I had a band when I was in college, you know, but then I grew up. Because I've heard, I've heard that. I don't hear it so much anymore, because at my age, now suddenly I get respect for being a musician. But I think until I about hit 40, people would, would be like, yeah, oh, did you make a living doing that? Right. No, I live on a park bench. <laughs> That's why I'm, you know, bathed and clean shaven, have a car. <laughs> Actually, I guess then I could have lived in my car. Oh, see. Um, <clears throat> I did keep all my belongings, keep only enough belongings to fill my car for a long time. Yeah, and, I recall. Yeah, 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 pretty much just about everything. I had, like, uh, some, some milk crates and stuff and boxes of stuff in a friend's garage. Yeah, because I was quite the, quite the nomad. I was moving around. Yeah. Anyway, so like, what about what about somebody who does that? Were they just not an artist to begin with? Is it just a hobby, and so it's totally okay? Or was that somebody who gave up their dream, or could it be either one? Uh, I'm actually of the firm belief that we all have creativity mm-hmm. because you know you talk about children and how they're constantly like imagining and creating and playing, and then we get older and we're put into these pigeonholes, you know, of what we think being an adult is, getting a job, finding your path and in the workplace. And finding your path is only a fairly recent thing that, that is not considered, you know, hippie kumbaya crap, you know. It used to be, oh, you know, I took a year out of col- after college to find myself, and oftentimes they're saying that in the lead into I didn't, so I got a job, you know. But but uh, now it's 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 a very recent thing that that it's encouraged in mainstream business thinking to have meaning in your work, you know. Uh, to, so the, and that's for all we know that could be by corporate design, so they get people to commit to staying in a job for longer than two years, you know. <laughs> but whatever the case, I think it's whatever the motivation. I think it's worthwhile. But um, I don't think you have to be, you know, like a musician or a painter. Or a, an actor or whatever to be an artist I think there's lots of ways to be lots of ways to be creative 
and more and more that's becoming more commonplace in regular corporate jobs. They want people to come up with ideas and that's creativity, that's artistry in a way. Yeah, it totally is. Um, I know I've said this on previous podcasts, so too bad. Uh, it's, <laughs> uh, it's Joseph Campbell said the creativity is what sets us apart from other animals mm. and then he goes on to say that of you know then we have the arts that puts us closest to our gods and of the arts music is the highest art form so I always have to follow through so that everybody's really clear on like how godly I am <laughs> Never she's, fails. She's, she's laughing <laughs> so I'm treated um, why didn't you why didn't you pursue uh, a safe job as a career option much uh, of your family has yeah that's very true who, I, who, who, who didn't pursue a safe job option in your family uh, no one no what about your mom What's well, she doing now? She she's always had safe jobs as fallbacks. What's she doing now? She's doing something she loves now. Yeah, isn't she always been somewhat attached to serving people? Oh, very much so. So that's yeah. always been her thing. So there's always been an element of purpose in her work, right? Um, and now here she is, like retirement age, and she's more than ever pursuing the. Uh, her work as what? Explain to everybody what your mom does. This is a big shout out to Gail, of course, my amazing <laughs> mother-in-law. What she does at her job? Or? What her work is, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, she works for uh, an alternative therapies uh, doctor, and they do yeah, alternative therapies. Um, alternative to what? Alternative to traditional medicine. But they're all... It's all scientific. This woman's a doctor that you know she works for, and um, they do like oxygenated therapies and vitamin C infusions to treat illnesses that can be treated without drugs that tend to cause side effects, which you, you need drugs for that cause more side effects, which you need drugs, drugs for, for, which cause more side effects. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and um, and to look at, at not just treating symptoms, as I understand it, but your mom's also an energy healer. She is. And, and does, does she use that at her job at all? Do they let her, um, does she do any of that? Sometimes. Huh? Sometimes. Um, she, I know she wants to do it more. Um, and she does it, yeah, on the side, periodically. I think that um, Sue has her work on people who request it. Yeah. You know, that's what. Now, just explain to people what an energy healer is. So, um... Our bodies and the universe is made up of energetic fields, and an energy healer learns to manipulate and um, uh, repair your energy field for better health. And for mental health, not just physical health, spiritual health, all, all the mind-body-spirit connection. Sounds like a bunch of hippie hocus-pocus. <laughs> Yeah, I guess uh, to uh, some people it is, but... What's your experience with it? Uh, that it works. Um, I can... Let's see, how many stories can I tell about this? <laughs> you don't need to count them. I don't need to count them? All right, well, from personal experience, I mean, I grew up, you know, my mom doing this energy healing thing, and she, she does this thing where she puts her hands over, like, a wound or, or a, you know... Uh, I, I guess it can be a wound, or it can be um, you know, your head if, you, if you're like having anxiety or something. And she sends ener energy into you to change the flow of what has happened to you. She's sending the energy into you, or connecting with your energy and manipulating. Which is which oh, one's? Uh, I don't know. She would have to explain that. I'm yeah. not sure. I guess she'll have to come out. <laughs> She better, because like she knows a whole family lot more than I do. Yeah. Well, we can connect it with the, uh, the, my first episode. My first episode is actually the, the intro, according to all the podcast platforms that I'm on, which you can find out by going to 
anchor.fm slash Circle. wherever you're listening to this. You can go there and find out the other eight platforms I'm on. It's also on imcradio.com uh, out of Jackson, Mississippi. Thank you, Dwayne Lamb. Shout out to the man himself. Mm-hmm. It's right. And uh, now on IMC Radio, not every episode gets on there because a few were recorded directly to the initial platform, which I no longer do. So from here on forward, all of them will make it on IMC Radio. But from the first one, the intro that I did is about 15 minutes of me yapping on about what this is all about. And so that's considered by the platform as my first episode, but I don't consider it my first episode. So this is episode number 13, lucky number 13. Ooh, yeah. all right. <laughs> or by the platforms, it's, it's, it's episode number 14, which is very cool if you're in the numerology because that's our anniversary this month, hey, 14th hey. of August. What? Yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> Since you said one year. You're like, we've been together, that's a long time. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I didn't know it felt like that long, you know. So, well, it's it's I mean, just kind of cool. I don't know. Is it? Wasn't, yeah, it wasn't yeah. a bad thing. Oh, it's a good well, tone of voice. I wasn't sure. It's, like, it's a long time. <laughs> it's just the pure shock value the of pure, it all. <laughs> you're like, I've, I've lasted in a relationship how long? Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to tell one real quick story on, on the whole Adam G. Hill thing. Just okay. to give it some, some substance. Way here. to change the subject. Well, I... Yeah. So, uh, I went through like some terrible orthodonture in my high school years, uh, and it was probably some of the worst experience I've ever been through. Uh, I had to get like a, a wire across the roof of my mouth um, to help my teeth come together in a way they were supposed to, and it gave me this terrible lisp, and it was just... And I had speech class that semester. It was just awful. Oh, man. Uh, so I it's felt like, like a freak of nature. It's like, yeah, here's Phil, here's your <laughs> fake hip. Uh, get back to gymnastics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, and it was, I mean, it was so character building, though. It was great for me. And my, by the end of it, my teacher thought you I was a character. A great, no, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> my teacher thought I was a great speaker. And I think that kind of led me on the path to believing it could become an actor. Famous people who had it. a lisp and who were yeah. who were great uh, public speakers, or known for their great public speaking skills, include yeah. Winston Churchill. Oh, all right, mm-hmm. very cool. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, all all the torture didn't actually solve my issue. Um, I had terrible TMJ, and uh, my lisp did not go away. And uh, so they decided that I could do this jaw surgery. So I. <laughs> And I had to get braces again after I gotten them off when I was 15. So I'm, I'm going into college. I, I'm being told you're going to have to have braces, which as a you know young woman is just like death. Because all I can think about is kissing boys and how what are they going to think of this grown woman with braces? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but I wanted the process to go as quickly as possible. Um, so when you get braces, they put spacers between your teeth where the brackets have to go on, like there's these huge brackets that go on your back molars that anchors your braces. Um, so they put these spacers in to make room for that. And I was told it's going to take like, you know, six months or so, and you're going to get your braces on in the summer. I wanted to have my surgery in the summer, so I was like, absolutely not. So I told my mom, I'm like, Mom, what do I do? She said, all right, think about every single night your teeth moving by those spacers as far as they need to. Every single night I wanted to think about it. So I did. I would lay down, go to sleep, and I would think about my teeth moving, and my teeth moving, and my teeth moving. And within three months, I went back. We have another guest. We do. Yeah. Special guest. (laughs) Uh, So I went back to the orthodontist, and they said, wow, after three months, your teeth are ready. I don't know how that's possible. I did. Yeah. That's a little bit like that's manifesting. Yeah. Get the energy healer over here for. It gets better. He found out who's president. That's the closest I'm going to get to politics on this episode. <laughs> so. So manifesting uh, is uh, that's like a nice loop around to manifesting things. 
We've been listening to a whole lot of stuff about manifesting things. We have. We've both understood the concept for a long time. Uh, I think I've, I've certainly read a lot in the past, and it's uh, especially worthwhile resetting your mindset, resetting the way you approach things on a very regular basis when you're trying to move things to uh, another level for yourself, for your life, uh, for the people around you and that kind of thing. And uh, one of the uh, <laughs> one of the funny things that we realized as we've been you know, pushing forward is uh, I asked Megan the other day, um, so with all these things we're trying to do, how much of it do you feel like you're responsible for? And she goes, like, 90%. I was like, me too. <laughs> we forgot. You know, that as a team, you have exponentially more power. And so now as we, as we begin to focus ourselves on accomplishing these things um, at, uh, as, as a team with exponentially more power, there's so much weight lifted, isn't there? Yeah. So I want everybody to think about that when you think you're alone in the world reach out to somebody you have exponentially more power when you do that and uh, when you consider the question of whether humans have the power to change things um, and you look at the negative aspects of the world the negative aspects of the world are there because of the power of human beings so the positive aspects have at least as much power so by teaming up and working together for things to improve we have exponentially more power all the time mm -hmm. so uh, uh, on that note uh, Megan where can we find you uh, my website is megancourse.com that's m-e-g-a-n-c-o-r-s-e.com no H in the Megan no H and, no U right yeah of course. course without the U that's right yeah that's right <laughs> and uh, you're on Instagram I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. You'll find all those on my website. All the links are there. All the links are there. It's the yeah. easiest way to go. All right. And once again, everybody, I'm at Phil Circle on all the social media except Instagram is at Phil Circle Music. Put a dot com after Phil Circle Music. You got my main page. And from there, you will be led to everywhere you need to go as well. Regarding uh, anything else I do that you're interested in knowing more about or you want to be involved in, I do respond to absolutely every message that I get from anybody. Sometimes it takes a minute, sometimes I don't see it right away. But I do check, and when I do see a message, I do respond. And I thank you for reaching out, because we need more exponential power in the world. Peace. <laughs>